film goes to many different countries, tropics and, and icy landscapes and uh, 8,000 year old cities. So it has a, a very uh, evocative visual palette. You see a part of Jamaica that I think not a lot of people get to see. You see the landscapes, you see the people, you see the vibrancy, the heat. There is a lot of glamour there because you are going to, uh, I mean, we went to Italy, we went to uh, Jamaica, Norway, and of course, one of my favorite places to film, the UK, the very exotic UK. Hello and welcome to No Time to Die, the official James Bond podcast. I'm your host, film critic and 007 fan, James King. For nearly 60 years, these films have been engrossing audiences around the world, with No Time to Die being movie number 25. And this series will give you unrivaled, behind-the-scenes access to the latest action-packed movie, as well as nodding back to Bond's illustrious past. Bond wouldn't be Bond if he didn't travel. The global locations are like an extra character in the films, informing the plot and adding to the mood. From the Czech Republic and the Bahamas in Casino Royale to Jamaica and Norway in No Time to Die, the views and vistas are never less than captivating. So in this episode, we'll discover how those locations are written into the film's storyline and then the practicalities What's the art of capturing the perfect Bond backdrop? Plus, of course, with world travel thrown into disarray due to the coronavirus, how has location shooting changed and what might it mean for the future? No Time to Die begins in Jamaica, a place that's often described as the spiritual home of James Bond. Back in the early 60s, Ursula Andress emerged from the ocean in that iconic scene from Dr. No. I asked producers Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli what it was like returning to the Caribbean nearly 60 years later. Well, Jamaica is incredibly important to the Bond series because it was where Ian Fleming wrote all of the novels at his house there at Goldeneye. And, you know, going there, as we have done recently to film, you kind of really... When you look at the beauty of the place and the people and the culture, you really understand that when he was writing about Bond saving the world, that was the world he was wanting to save because it's a particularly astoundingly beautiful place. I was there when I was a year old on Dr. No. What are your memories of that? I don't, I don't have any. Uh, I have photographs, which are my memories. Um, but uh, that was where the first film you know, was made. And, you know, it just feel, felt right for the 25th and for this particular story to go back there to Jamaica. And we've always said that it's James Bond's spiritual home. So we were very, very happy to start filming there. And it seems to me that after a year and a half of, of not really being able to travel to many places, the locations you have on offer, Michael, for No Time to Die, mm. they're going to be so even more exciting than usual to watch, aren't they? Because it'll be like us going on a little holiday watching the locations that you have. Yes, and I think um, Cummy and Harry recognise that when we um, 
started the Bond films, that that was part of their appeal. Because in those days, the public didn't travel as much as they do today. And of course, every Bond film was an excursion to an exotic place and, and places that people only read about or maybe could only visit once in a lifetime. But uh, Bond managed to, uh, as you say, go to all these exotic locations and places that even today people, uh, some of them are not places that people would be uh, visiting on holidays. So we've maintained that tradition all through the, the series. Yeah, I happened to see the film again recently, last couple of weeks ago, and it just reinforced why this film has to be seen in the cinema. In the first instance, certainly has to be seen in the cinema. Uh, it's really so powerful. The theatrical experience is just so powerful. And these films, along with many other films, really deserve the big theatrical experience. How has the pandemic, Barbara, changed location shooting then and travelling around the world to make movies? Practically, how has that affected things? It's been very challenging and it's a real testament to the British film industry that they have kept going and been thriving in terms of production despite all the hurdles and they've been doing it safely. It's cost untold millions for people who are making the films because, you know, of all the safety protocols which are necessary and obviously extremely important that they're adhered to. But it is incredible. It speaks to the resilience of the film industry that they can adjust to these very difficult circumstances and still make movies because they recognize, you know, we all recognize that people want want to be entertained and moved and the way to do that is by sharing the screen. Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, co-writers of seven Bond films from The World Is Not Enough in 1999 right up to No Time To Die, tell me why Jamaica was important for them. You know, we felt that that's where it would be good to get Bond back to where he comes from sort yeah. of, and his spiritual home so and that's where he goes to to retire essentially yes it? that's correct yeah. so that's what he would do i think well we're always looking back at the books is where you have to start for your ideas and so uh with the new one we went back to um the man with the golden gun and that has uh, Jamaica in it and kind of the atmosphere of all that we were trying to achieve. We also used uh, You Only Live Twice and there'll be a couple of elements that Bond fans should be able to spot from that book. Because you've got to keep them happy as well when you're writing. Yeah, it's more it's the touchstone to get the spirit of it right. There are these little touches but it, it's more about the actual trying to get the Fleming flavour into it. Have yeah. you sat at his desk at Goldeneye? And no, because I'd like to, but no one's asked. No, because <laughs> um, that's where he soaked up the atmosphere, isn't it, and yeah. got the inspiration. Yeah, yeah, golden typewriter, golden sandy beaches for miles, crystal blue waters, and a legendary laid-back atmosphere. Let's be honest, filming in Jamaica was always going to be a pretty special experience. I asked actors Jeffrey Wright and Lashana Lynch, a.k.a. Felix Leiter and new agent Nomi, to tell us more about their time in Jamaica. Yeah, we find uh, early on in this thing, we find ourselves in Jamaica, yes, tracking down 
our leisurely brother who's who's kind of living uh leisurely uh and but uh, but but highly uh highly comfortable life in, in the Jamaican paradise. I'm guessing it was pretty enjoyable working there. If you have to shoot uh you know you may as well choose Jamaica. Yeah. It was fantastic. It was um you know, it was great to be back, you know, really in in some ways the cradle of the Bond stories, uh, you know, to circle back uh, to, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the beginning of it all for this was incredibly appropriate, I think. Uh, and to film there was just great. I mean, you're in Jamaica, <laughs> you know, you, you know, filming, uh, you know, filming during the day. And and if you get a little time off, you know, I found a little surf break down there in Boston Bay, you know, in uh, Port Antonio that I was hitting like every opportunity I could. Yeah, it was uh, it was great. And the people were fantastic, welcoming. Um, you know, we, 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 we shot a scene in the middle of town with a bunch of cars, motorcycles, most of them locals who were involved. And, you know, they rehearsed this thing over a number of days. And when it came time to shoot, we were we were doing that thing like clockwork. It was just fantastic to you know to kind of immerse yourself, you know, directly in, in you know in the local community and have them you know participate in the filming of this thing in a way that was really, you know, really top shelf. I think because Bond is experiencing something that he hasn't experienced before. He's retired and he's now very chilled. Just you know eating and drinking and just doing all the very casual like life stuff um you see a part of Jamaica that I think not a lot of people get to see which disheartens me actually because it's so beautiful um so you see the landscapes you see the people you see the vibrancy the heat um the colors and um as you saw there's a bit of a nightclub scene in the trailer um so you see the nightclubs and you see just the talents in in people's bodies and the the melanin and everything just oozing from just the vibrancy of the place in general um so that but then you see like danger creeping and you see you know beauty keeping and, and delicacy creeping and it's just it's so multifaceted that it's quite it's just quite nice how they've done it they definitely knew what they wanted to do and he definitely achieved it you mentioned you've got roots in jamaica so did you get to visit any places i was on the completely different side of the island my mum came with me and she was like gosh we've never even touched here before and i was like i know i didn't even know that this place was so untouched we, were, we shot in port antonio and it's just beautiful like birds that i've never seen before you know it was it was stunning um so that was a new experience for me and my mum but we never got to got to hang out we were just working the whole time which is great i mean go to jamaica to work can't complain about anything really can you okay so now we know about jamaica but globetrotting has always been a crucial part of any bond movie i caught up with rami malik to ask what it was like for him filming in such awesome locations and if it was as glamorous as it seems i think uh in terms of Bond, it is there is a lot of glamour there because you are going to. Uh, I mean, we went to Italy, we went to uh, Jamaica, Norway, and of course, one of my favorite places to film, the UK, the very exotic UK. Um, they uh, Bond has these uh, historic 
stages at Pinewood uh, where you see the 007 emblem uh, all over the place. And there's something about, no matter where you go location-wise, there's something extraordinarily special about driving into those stages and seeing the iconic 007 stage, whether it was blown up or not. Uh, it's I, I believe it's back in business and to to be in there and to be shooting in there, which I was fortunate enough to have had that opportunity, is a truly special experience. And that's not lost on anyone who is working on this film. You could feel it from, uh, from uh, you know, every craftsman, every person involved. And what, what I found really intriguing was, uh, I won't say elder statesmen, but, uh, you know, people who you could tell were, have been working in this business for quite a while, I think assembled especially to be part of such a rich heritage. Yeah, I went down to Pinewoods, I think just uh, maybe the day before it wrapped. It is, it is a breathtaking moment, isn't it? I saw the streets of Cuba, the streets of Havana on there. No, no, we went to Cuba. <laughs> uh, yeah, how remarkable was amazing, that? Amazing, just amazing. So we've had an insight into what it's like being an actor shooting this film and Rami gave us a little glimpse into where we can expect to travel to alongside Jamaica. But let's hear from those who make these decisions about where to go and why. Here are producers Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli. Well, we were in Matera, Italy, which is an extraordinary place. Um, One of the three oldest uh, towns in the world, I believe. Continuous uh, occupied. Uh, How is it filming someone like that? Oh my God! I mean, it was just beautiful, and the way that Carrie and Linus, our director of photography, filmed it. I mean, the the color of the stone there, the lighting. I mean, it looks absolutely spectacular. And then we did a big car chase in this very <laughs> medieval. The red tape of, of, of getting that okayed by the local authorities—that oh, must yeah. have been crazy. Yeah. It was great, though. They gave us a lot of cooperation, and the, and the citizens there too, as well. It's you know, it's one of the things that Bond Bond opens a lot of doors, and you know, we're very proud of that. We're very proud that you know when we ask to go to get permission to film in places that it's one is they know the, that their place will be seen by many millions of people but also we try to be very respectful and not do any damage and not do anything that would make them unhappy so when we leave we feel like we've you know the pl- the place is as good as <laughs> when we arrived so that reputation uh, goes with us, fortunately. So, you know, we're very lucky about getting permission to shoot in these incredible places. And are the locations in the script or is it, could it really be anywhere and you think, actually, I'd I'd love to take James Bond to this location? Well, I think there's a, a finding the right location is uh, all part of the pre-production of the movie. Um, It's always a matter of uh, um, what's practical, what looks visually right. And in the story, what's the right location in the narrative? Um, They don't always have to be the same because, for instance, we went to Cuba this time, but that was done in Jamaica and on the back lot of uh, here in London. So um, we also went to Norway for uh, that was an exciting part of the pre-shoot we had there in um, and then we also went up to Scotland, which again was part of Norway in, in the story. So um, 
the, this, the picture in the narrative terms goes to quite a few places around Europe and the world. But, um, and, and we do go on locations for a substantial amount of time. I went to the Cuba set at Pinewood. Mm. Amazing. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's like you're walking down the street in Havana. It's unbelievable. You can't believe that you're in, you know, West London or wherever you are. Well, that's what's so fantastic about making these films in Britain is that the craftsmanship, the technicians, the filmmakers here are so, so extraordinary. And um, people know they can get the talent that they need to pull off things like the Cuba set. There's a wonderful art department we had. Um, Mark Tilsley was our designer this time. And many of the people he had working with him and under him were all people who worked on previous Bond films for the most part. So we had a, um, a lot of, uh, you know, some new people and some veterans on the, on the film. And uh, they know how to put sets together and how to design them. And, and most importantly, how to get them up on time, which is um, one of the challenges you always have as a filmmaker. But it's not just style over content. The locations of a Bond film also reveal a lot about the underlying themes and tones of the movie. The way they're filmed speaks volumes. So what can we expect from the mood and the aesthetics of this film? I asked director Harry Joji Fukunaga. In, in terms of, of a visual tapestry, uh, the film goes to many different countries. We shot in Norway, Jamaica, uh, Scotland, UK, obviously, uh, in, in around London, but also in Italy and uh, a even smaller unit shot up in the Faroe Islands. So we 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 covered a lot of ground. Uh, visually, the film goes between tropics and and icy landscapes and. Uh, 8,000 year old cities. So it has a, a very uh, evocative visual palette. And um, tonally, you know, I think it, it, it picks up on the, the previous films. There's a, there's a, a grittiness and a darkness uh, to, to Bond's character that, that's continuous throughout. And we kept that going with, you know, some, some moments of, um, of healthy humor. And I've read that you often hop on your motorbike and go scouting for locations. So uh, how did you find the the right location this time? Uh, this time around, there was a lot more insurance involved, and I was not allowed to get on a motorcycle. <laughs> in in this case, I think because of the um, we had a pretty dedicated locations team who brought sort of the top one or two or three choices, and then out of those, we'd go visit those places in the country. Um, so there wasn't really a, a lot of time to to do the kind of uh, psychogeographic wandering I would typically do on a, on scouting for a smaller film. So the locations service the story. They have to be there for a reason. Yeah, always. I mean, it's strange because when you're writing and you're kind of conceiving of things, uh, images start forming in your head of where these places might be and what they might look like. And the fun and exciting thing about filmmaking is that quite often those places do exist in reality, the things you see in your head. And it's just a matter of time before you find them. If Carrie couldn't hop on his motorbike and scout for locations himself, whose job was it to find Bond his backgrounds? Well, that fell to Charlie Hayes and Ben Piltz, the locations manager and supervising locations manager. Charlie Hayes has worked on the last four Bond films, so I started by asking him, how does the process of location scouting begin and who chooses where to go? The short answer to that question is the director. Um, every 
decision that is made that affects what this film is, um, you know, ultimately comes down to, to the, the director, in this yep. case, Kerry Fukunaga. Um, but the longer answer is that there is a big conversation that goes on. Um, the director will inevitably be um, consulting and being advised by the heavy hitters of the production, um, the script writers, yeah. the production designer, the cinematographer, the producers, of course, crucially in this franchise. So when you get the first look at the script, it, it might be telling you what happens in a scene, but it's not necessarily telling you where that scene will be. Um, sometimes, I mean, the, the James Grant, who was the location manager on Skyfall, opened his script and it said, you know, Bond sprints down Whitehall. So there, yeah. there are, uh, with this franchise, they get uh, lucky enough to film in, in iconic and recognisable places. So there are certainly occasions where the, the action is, is prescribed and is, has been designed around a particular place in the world. Um, but the majority of locations, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it, you, you start um, with the action of, of the script, um, you start with the context, um, but after that, you, 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 you kind of know if it's hot or cold, but beyond that, um, the, it, it, there's the process to follow to, to find out exactly where that'll all happen. So we know some of the locations in No Time to Die, um, because, you know, in the trailer and people have, have talked freely about them. So let's say Italy. Yes. Right. So you know you're going to do a, sh a shoot there. What is then your process of finding the right place where that's going to happen? With Italy, you know, as with any location, you have a kind of extended and creative conversation with um, yeah, pretty much the production designer, who is the creative line manager of the film. Yeah. Um, you will start to look at what exactly it is that happens there, the tone that they're trying to set, the filmmakers are trying to set, where it occurs in the story. You know, is it is it a Bond location that has been chosen as a as a scene, as an environment for a, a car chase, which in this case, Matera is, you know, is the scene for an amazing car chase. Um, and we just try and, we try and find an amazing place that will look beautiful on camera that will lend itself to whatever we're, we're trying to do in it. And so in your head, from your experience, you've got all these locations. And if someone says to you, we need a location that's a bit like this or that represents this, from your knowledge, from your experience, you can pluck names out of your brain. As a starting point, Definitely. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that would be um, amazingly arrogant of me to say that I can, you know, just summon these things. Um, there is a whole team of, of, you know, location managers and, and scouts all over the world who we go to and we consult with. And, and right. you know, so local teams, local teams. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, you know, there will be. Uh, factors that help you to narrow the field. Maybe you then be looking at, you know, a handful of countries rather than, you know, all the countries. And are there limits? I mean, would you say that that's actually just inhospitable or that there's not the uh, ability for us to, to get there by car or whatever? So that would stop you from filming somewhere? You go to, I mean, Bond has been to some pretty rural locations. Bond has been to some far out places. There, there, I'm not going to say that um, anything's impossible. Nothing is impossible. I think Bond and you know a couple of other big franchises push the envelope further in terms of you know where we take our crews. There, your example of uh, you know not being able to reach the, by car, we would laugh at that, James. We would laugh at that. <laughs> car is you know that is just simply that. not that yeah. is not a problem. Yeah. There are other m methods of transport. We'll walk there if we have to. In the four Bond movies that you've worked on, what would you say was has been the hardest? place to find so you see the script you know what's required but you were just really struggling to actually find the perfect location i think the they all have their own challenges um but i think the the more specific 
the requirement is, the harder it is to find. You're not, you're, you kind of enter needle in a haystack territory. There is um, a, a memorable special effect in this film, which uh, will appear to take place in one environment, but actually we, we staged it somewhere completely different. Yeah. But in order for those... Uh, for that footage to be usable and, and superimposable into where we want it to happen, it needed to be on a grass slope of a certain angle facing a certain compass direction so the sun here would hit it in a certain way. At that point, your search becomes really very focused and, and it's hard time time consuming to kind of zero in on those, you know, those details. It's interesting because, you know, we, we would often think of uh, Bond locations, right, we're just thinking of the glamorous locations. Yes. But actually you're thinking of practical places as well. The glamour isn't necessarily part of it all the time. It's sometimes what's the most practical place for what we need. Uh, that's certainly true. Practicality is always a consideration, but creativity comes first. The look of the film is, is uh, you know, paramount in, in um, yeah. choosing these places. Uh, it needs to work for the purpose that we require it. So, you know, you will, we will be consulting with, in addition to the director and the designer and the cinematographer, consulting with stunts, special effects. You know, th those, um, those departments have a key role to play in, in, in finding and picking the location. Um, but certainly we would bend over backwards to make a beautiful, perfect location work rather than um, find somewhere that, you know, that worked well but looked worse on them. And of course, the locations also have to, well, certainly a lot of the locations have to fit in with the narrative in some way and maybe mirror the themes of the film. I mean, if you're thinking about Spectre and the opening scene and the Day of the Dead, yes, you know, which is a theme, death is a theme that runs throughout the movie. So it kind of makes sense that it would start there, but it's not just for the visuals. It's also thematically tied in, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that old saying that a picture paints a thousand words, that, it seems a bit silly on film because it's a visual medium it's all it's only pictures but <laughs> there is there's definitely you know if you go to a location and then and it's beautiful and you then work your film crew magic and you light it and you dress it and you fill it with you know background artists in costume in the day of the dead example um you set the you know you just set the scene in a way that you you don't want to waste time with dialogue or exposition. You know, it's it's a it's a flash, and you're there. You know mm. exactly where you are. Um, Day of the Dead. You, you you begin the movie, and it's it's bustling. It's busy. You're you know straight away. You 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 know where you're beginning. So, what are your memories of filming the opening scene, that iconic opening scene of Skyfall? That was that was an amazing experience for me. Um, the uh, the Bike and car chase takes place in, in Istanbul. Um, and then we, we cut to a railway line. Um, basically, we cross Turkey and cut to a railway line in, in Adana. Uh, the rooftops that the, the bikes ride across is the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul, which is, you know, an enormously important and significant place. Um, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people go there, you know, every, every week. Um, we protected the roof. We basically built a roof on top of the roof so that yeah. the bikes could ride there without damage um, and had to then figure out ways to, you know, get people up and equipment down. Um, you know, we take, took uh, things that were environments that are very much not designed to do what we want to do on them and we have to you know figure out to, a way to make that safe the reason for moving 
you know, across the country. And that one is because obviously the, the control that we needed to have of the train line, um, there were, you know, pretty few places in the world where people are willing to let you um, do that. Um, Dan is one of them. And it really lends itself to the film because you have this incredible uh, environment culminating in that, in that sort of very memorable bridge where Bond, um, you know, is unfortunately uh, a bit of friendly fire. Do you have favourite locations out of all the ones you've worked on? I, when I got to a restaurant called the Ice Q, um, which was atop an Austrian mountain, the right. hair on the back of my uh, neck stood on end. And it is the location that we used as uh, the Hoffler Clinic, where Madeline where yep. Bond meets Madeline Swan. Yep. It's at the top of a mountain in Solden in Austria. Um, I saw it before the snow had fallen um, for the first time. But standing there and, you know, this incredible high architecture, basically glass and steel box, turning 360 and seeing the most incredible mountainscape. I mean, you, you, straight away, you know that you're in a Bond location. It was a slam dunk really it had enormous logistical challenges getting uh dragging a set up a mountain to you know add to what was already there um and when the snow fell uh, you know the roads became impassable and it's you know obviously at a very high altitude so that it was it had its own challenges but the payoff was certainly worth it to create a movie on this scale requires the best, most experienced off-screen talent in the business. People come back film after film, bringing with them their accumulated years of expertise. When you've got that experience on board, what's on the screen is always going to be extra special. Special effects supervisor Chris Corbold has worked on the film since 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me. The man is a legend, Oscar winner, OBE and Guinness record holder for organising the world's biggest ever film stunt explosion in Spectre. I asked him about a key aspect of all Bond films. Car chases obviously are a big part of Bond movies. When we watch them, you know, we I don't think we even think about how someone would begin to choreograph that, would begin to plan a car chase. I know Italy is a big one this time around in No Time yeah. to Die. So how do you start with that? You've done a lot of car chases. Quite a few. The car chases on this one were very much a collaborative effort between myself and Lee Morrison, the, the stunt coordinator. We went several times out to Matera. When I say several, probably 12 times before we shot there. Um, you know, the, 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 the scene kept evolving and Carrie... Um, kept wanting to make it better and better and better. So we, we went out there and offer, found locations that we could offer up that would work for the cars. And it's very challenging as far as there's only one street through the city. And when I when we went there, I thought we're going to have problems here because we're going to block off, you know, with a crew of 500 and cars whizzing around at 90 miles an hour with explosions going off. I, I'm not convinced that the local population is going to like this very much, but quite differently. They were absolutely amazing. They um, And the weird thing was that the, the town is built like on a hillside. So... Uh, we were shooting a lot of our um, sequence at the bottom of the, the hillside, if you like. So we had this massive, great amphitheatre of roofs, balconies, front doors. And every time we did a shot, when we finished, there was there was normally a round of applause. Yeah, because I often think that, that if, if a Bond movie has come to town, whatever town that might be, mm. people are going to know, aren't they? The general public are going to be interested in that. But you just have to get on with it and not think about them you you do but the logistically the locations department and the the assistant directors and the pas all, all, all do a marvelous job you know because when you're 
driving these cars at high speed around the town, you, you, you have to lock off everywhere. You can't, can't have somebody stepping out their front door and then there's an Aston Martin staring them straight in the face. You know, it's, it's a massive logistical problem. And even just getting the cars into position, you know, we had, we had 10 Aston Martins and we had probably another oh, 20 ND cars, some with stunt modifications to them. So just getting them into the town was a, a, a massive exercise. So how long did it take to film? I think we were there something like six weeks. I think. Wow. So, how long is the car chase going to be in the in the film? I would hazard a guess at five minutes, wow. but that's a wild guess. I haven't yeah. seen the end of the film, but yeah, but but it's a, it's several weeks work for a few minutes of film. Daniel Craig. Could you tell me a favourite location? I, I'm going to I'm going to be consistent in this because I kind of thought about this. I've, I've been asked this before, and I think should I just say another location because it's like. But actually, the, we're in in Chile in uh, near Antofagasta up in the north, and it's the Atacama Desert. Wow, it's I think it's I mean it's over ten thousand feet up. It's the driest place on earth, and there's a, an observatory there. And we stayed the night on the observatory, and you can't have a phone on because that would cause light bleed while they take um, photographs of the sky on these things. There are stars from horizon to horizon, and it's so bright, it's blinding, because you can see the Milky Way, and it's one of the most spectacular places I've ever been in. You know, I'd love to go back one day. Which film was this? Um, um, Munich. No, um, <laughs> Quantum of Solace. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say uh, my favourite location was Pinewood for a, for a second. Well, I, I kind of has to be because we spent so much time there, especially on this one we did. You, you see that you're in Jamaica, which of course has a long heritage associated with Bond, mm. but I'm presuming also it's not just going to be a repeat of what we've seen before. You'll be using that location in a different way. Completely. And, and I mean, and that's what I've I've strived to do while I've been doing it. And of course, all the directors that have been involved, Carrie and Sam and, and, and everybody else have been, I've strived to do is that you, 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 there's a, a language, a bond language. You you have to use that language, but you want it to be fresh and, 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 and as if you're hearing it for the first time. From Jamaica to Italy to Austria, we've traveled across the globe in this episode. But what about London, the home of MI6 and Bond's bachelor pad? I asked Moneypenny and Tanner, actors Naomi Harris and Rory Kinnear, how important the UK's capital is to the franchise. Actually, you know what's so wonderful about um, No Time to Die is that I think you get to see London in in different ways. You know, um, London becomes a character in this movie and it's shot beautifully and you realise what an incredible city it is to be to live in. It's a privilege. What I always um, remember was watching um, Bond movies growing up and particularly at Christmas. They always seem to be on at Christmas time. And I remember watching them with my family and it'd be like cold and drab and raining and snowing outside. And then you'd get to see this amazing movie which transported you to somewhere so glamorous and warm and exotic and everybody just looked like they were you know stepped out of hair and makeup for five hours because they looked so gorgeous and I I just remember always just loving it and thinking it was just the most glamorous thing ever. Obviously Bond is famous for being working with Pinewood and a lot of things are shot at Pinewood. Tell me about what stuff you do at Pinewood and what is done on location in central London. Uh, yeah, so most of the interiors of MI6 are always at Pinewood. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think probably that, you know, the, the greatest fun about being involved in a Bond film is the 
sort of the sheer scale of operations. Um, and I remember the first one, just you know, going from set to set and then going across to Panama. And it was like an enormous sort of scout camp. I just had no idea how people could organise so many different aspects of a film. Um, and... Uh, yeah, well, I think certainly Sam wanted to show off and certainly make sure that people knew that knew knew of the Bond films as London films, and so London was very much a, a feature of that. So we were at, we were at Greenwich from Vauxhall Bridge along the Embankment, and it's also yeah, the, again with the the scale of operations. I remember when Inspector, sort of the last third was sort of being, and this is quite common that the last of us were being written as we were going along and it was changing quite a lot and we would get sides through and be like okay this is filming in sort of four or five weeks and then you'd you'd turn up on set and they'd close the whole of trafalgar square and you're climbing up the side of a, 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 a fire escape uh, building next to trafalgar square with a drone coming up and They'd close the mall as well for like a whole night. It was like, I'm sure it was only written like three or four. I mean, just how do you manage to fast track the red tape? I'd love to yeah. know it for my parking permits. <laughs> Here are Neil Purvis and Robert Wade on writing those London scenes for The World Is Not Enough. We had MI6 gets blown up um, and the chase along the Thames. And uh, then we did that. We had MI6 get blown up again, didn't we, in Sky? <laughs> so, uh, slightly different And then we the blew building. it up again, Inspector, actually. You hate that place. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, the amazing thing is it's still there. Yeah. When you are writing and you're writing an action scene, you're writing a, an explosion like the MI6 or whatever, are you, does the practicality ever play a part? Or do you think that's for other people to worry about? I'm writing anything goes. The great thing is with doing a Bond is that you don't worry about the practicality of it no, because I've, the people are so clever who, yeah, who I mean, do. The chase down the Thames apparently that involved so many different kind of port authorities or whatever. It's a really, really difficult thing to do and to, to, to go past the Houses of Parliament as well is difficult. Uh, but, you know, they're the only people I think who could have pulled that off. Yeah, so that's not something you would necessarily experience in other films or other franchises. No, that's right. And, it, you know, it really is the, the, the biggest, almost the biggest buzz, I would say, is that you come up with something outlandish, like Sinking Palazzo, and then all these people make it happen. And it's the most extraordinary level of detail and ingenuity. Um, and so that is... It's, it's, so what you want to do is give them something to get excited about, some impossible challenge. In the next episode, we'll look at the musical world that has come to epitomise the James Bond franchise. And to introduce the song that will come to define No Time to Die, here's Billie Eilish. We wanted to give the Bond song something that I've literally never done, ever. And we did. And I feel like it, it, it gave it more. This is a Something Else production. Follow now to make sure you don't miss an episode.